Alright, welcome to a special episode of Splinters of Jade. Uh, we're going to do kind of a roundtable talk about our recent adventure, uh, Mountain Shadow, as well as our impressions of adventures in Rokugan. I'm your Game Master, Chris Garvey. I also do writing for the Emerald Legacy fanfiction And with me today is uh, Bren. Oh, okay. Yes. Hi, I'm Bren. <laughs> I am the editor. I play Yogo Sojabo. And in this one, I played Yogo Otome, who I totally realized at the very end, we forgot to have her mask fall off to reveal that her she, that they had no face. Ooh, uh, nice. <laughs> oops. That's right. That was, that was we did that all off uh, off stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I, I I may retcon that. I don't know. I yeah. But okay. And next, that's the benefit of being uh, the editor. We also have <laughs> we have uh, Buell. Yes, um, I play Kuniguru in the regular. I played Sosoro Ren in this one. And Steve? And hi, I'm Steve. I play, um, uh, a, ah, <laughs> oh, brain, on, <laughs> brain freeze. Um, hi, I'm Steve. I play Kitsuki Akira in the normal game. This time I played Bayushi Aikore, um, a specter death dealer. Died and, then, and kept coming back because he felt there was something he still needed to do. And then we had a couple of special guests this time around. Uh, today we've got uh, Robert Denton III. Hello, I'm Robert Denton III. I am a author for Legend of the Five Rings uh, and uh, a writer on Legend of the Five Rings uh, fourth edition, fifth edition, and most recently, contributing author on Adventures in Rokugan. I played uh, Yogo uh, Kyoko as a special guest. And unfortunately, today we don't have Shay with us. Uh, he's playing Nurse at, at home. Uh, he played Soshi Shippai. Uh, so let's talk first about the adventure. What did, what did you think of the adventure? So I had fun. I had a blast. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and stick my neck out and say this was my very first, not just Adventures in Rokugan adventure. This was my first fifth edition D&D adventure. I have never played fifth ed at D&D. The last time I played D&D, well, I was going to say the last time I played D&D, Thaco was a thing, but that's not 100% true. I played mm -hmm. 3.5 <laughs> uh, for a while, and I've played Pathfinder because my local group, they like to play Pathfinder. Mm. Um, but I'd never played yeah. uh, fifth ed, and this is the um, – so this was my first fifth ed adventure as well. And I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, I just want to go go ahead and go out there. And since this is coming out after all the episodes come out, 
we did all going go into this knowing we were going to die. So it wasn't like a shock to any of us. That's probably sh- changed a lot of our decisions, knowing that, hey, this is a one sh- a some shot and we're going to die. So uh, whatever, let's do something crazy. <laughs> Oh, y'all play Let's do as much damage as possible. <laughs> uh, it affected some bit. of our decisions a little bit. Yeah. yeah. We knew uh, we were not going to survive this, but... Yeah. Uh, I'm just kind of sad I didn't get to just be outright killed by the mechanics and I had to... Because I was the last one standing, which I kind of figured I was. I had a high AC and a high HP because of my build. Uh, Yogo Tome was... Uh, Four ninja, three acolyte. Actually, they started with acolyte. No, it's four acolyte, three ninja, and three courtier. Uh, so they had a lot of HP, a lot, and uh, they were unique existence. So they could extend their AC up to well, their dexterity up to a modifier of six. Which is yeah, was just absurd. <laughs> Yeah, it was very hard. Is it normal for, like, modifiers to be... I know we were playing uh, higher-level characters anyway, but it seemed like there were a lot of high modifiers in this game. Is that unique to Adventures of Rokugan, or is that, like, a fifth-ed thing? That was that was Chris. That was yeah, all was saying, Chris, Chris. Which aspect of the modifiers were you, uh, are you asking about? Well, it seems like there are a um, lot of um they're the same thing it's it doesn't like uh usually you start out at three like chris gave us unique uh character creation options so yeah. our numbers were much higher than what they would normally be if we were to do say point by or uh i see rolling yeah. Yeah. But also depending on the modifiers, are you talking about the modifiers of the opponents or the modifiers of the characters? The fact that the opponents were well above our level. Well okay. above the, from what Chris and they was, were nerfed. Like Yeah. They were Yeah, those sword saints were nerfed against you guys. But they still yeah. were, were higher than Oh yeah. The CR yeah, for us. Yeah. That was what was planned. Yep. Right. Yeah, Chris basically it's like, okay, here's going to be a group of ninja that are going to try to get this information, but they're going to die because they're going up against a higher threat rating than would be typical. That's why I'm asking which modifiers you talk about. I just meant in general. Uh, yeah. It seemed like folks were generally rolling kind of high and adding yeah. high compared to what I was used to. For yeah, it, it is very hot, much higher than a normal fifth edition game. Yeah, actually, it depends on which ones because I know like Bren and Steve, the way they built their characters using the non-humans that mm-hmm. boosted a lot of the stats. Where with my yeah. character being, I went full, full ninja, all ten levels, human. I didn't get a lot of the specialties that non-humans get. So Mm -hmm. my modifiers weren't as drastic. My saves were under par in comparison to like Bren's or Steve's or even yours. 
So. Well, I specifically wanted to take advantage of the unique existence ability at seventh level to increase uh, to go to uh, 22 score rather than limited it at 20 because uh, in the normal game most characters are limited to 20 in their ability score uh, I think the only ones I can think of off the top of my head that adjust that in the base game are barbarians with their cons- constitution and strength at 20th level which goes up to 24 hmm. well and then as I was looking through people's character sheets there was a lot of max min building yeah. You know, I also I have to give you mine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need a whole lot in this one stat, so I'm going to leave that at 8. But I'm going to go and be at 20 for this other skill. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, that's incentivized. Yeah. It, it With a one shot, is. yeah. With a one shot, yes, that is. Uh, like, if I were. If I, if I, to be honest, if I, if I was making that character again, I would probably put more into strength just so they could climb out and climb stuff better. Um, but that's the problem with like fifth edition in general. Like my opinion of this game is like, yeah, it's a better fifth edition. It's still fifth edition and it's still got all those problems. I yeah. have uh, I have some thoughts on that too, but I don't want to jump ahead or. <clears throat> but I'm gonna I'm gonna no, agree no, with no. you. There are some there are some limitations that I that I felt playing. Yeah, the game. Mm-hmm. yeah. I know Chris was talking about the the stat dumps and stuff. Yeah, I know I haven't gotten gotten him my uh, my character yet. I just been working way too many hours. But it's I had. I had a 10, a 12, two 15s, and two 16s. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's not like I truly dump stats to get other stuff. I tried to uh, do a, a decent character build based on how I saw the character acting. It's also probably, probably why my armor class was only a 14. <laughs> yeah. I tried to retrofit. Like I built, I built my character. I tried to make a character that I thought would be decent uh, with what I could tell. I knew I wanted to play a duelist, and so I tried. I I I tried to like find synergies and mix it up and and have I guess hopefully a mechanically sound character. And then I tried to retrofit a actual character into the mechanics. I tried to have like that's that's how I approached this one. I figured since I was only playing it once, I didn't have to make a character that was too deep or that had uh, a lot of like layers and unanswered questions and and plot hooks. I just had to create a character that fit the the numbers that I slapped together. Yeah, I did the other way. I I had the um, uh, inspiration for um, Ikare. Uh, a while ago when we first decided okay we're gonna do a ninja campaign you're gonna um you're gonna die at the end of it it's like okay I look through oh i can play a death dealer and then we came out to um um fifth ed l5r and it's like okay i still want to play a death dealer how can i fit okay i can do this i can do this i can do this and, um 
made a little twist of having him be a specter um, at the end while looking through the uh, existences. Yeah, that was one of the things we had. We initially planned this for a while back, and uh, it, it just hadn't happened. Twenty twenty is what happened. Yeah, twenty twenty is what happened. Yes, yeah. oh boy. And I know we had all talked about the characters because everything was everyone was supposed to be a scorpion. So yeah. we were looking at the scorpion book and all the different family, the classes or the schools, just not classes, schools. And we all made decisions. I forgot all about that when I went to create this character. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to tell. Let me just make a straight shinobi because let's try it out. I have to say, I don't don't care for it too. A pure shinobi. No, I guess it's not really my play style for the most part. Though, I know with Chris having making this where. We're actually facing higher threat levels than actual. Met a lot of my abilities were null and void. It's like, oh, make a save throw. Yep, you made it easily. So I yeah. can't use my backstab style ability. Uh, sorry about that. Like yeah. Sword Saint, I, I'm just going to read off the stats of the Sword Saint. Just the stats 18, 20, 20, 15, 20, 14. That's the Sword Saint stats, and that's not even half the stuff on there. Like, they have five Yeah, you can attacks. attack five times, right? <laughs> yeah. And those five attacks can be yeah, techniques. Yeah, that was the first nerf. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't use techniques, and I nerfed them down to three attacks. Yeah, because I don't you. know anything outside maybe a dragon, and not even then that get, like, five attacks. Nothing yeah. like that I know of gets that many attacks in f- 5th edition. So I thought that was a bit weird. Uh, I'm wondering if that might have been a misprint. I don't know. I don't like Sword Saints are supposed to be like the best of the best. Well, they uh, did release some errata. I don't think the Sword Saints profile was errated. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I believe you're right. I have not even seen errata. But yeah, I know that that was one of the things that was semi-frustrated me when playing this. It's like, okay, I've got this character without having um, conditions. He's he's no better than a first-level character, really, other than he's got better hit points. Yeah, but it's like, hey, I'm doing D4 damage plus oh. my Dex bonus since I'm using a um, finesse weapon. Yeah, I got a I got a quick question for you, Bull. You did include your uh, ability score increases in your character. Um, I'm just curious. No. <laughs> oh, okay. That so I know I nerfed myself as well. Wow. Yeah, I I I, I didn't because I didn't look at your character sheet yet. Yeah, or, I haven't it, sent it yet. And when you said that, I'm like, hmm, that seems a bit off. I don't yeah, know. Like I said, I have not yeah. sent it yet. I'm yeah, yeah. It's I know. Like, like humans, I've over twenty hours of overtime this week. I know humans yeah. are supposed to get all of their abilities scores increased by one, or you can choose two different ability scores to increase by one and get a feat. 
Yeah, I was talking about is uh, the ones you get as you level up. Oh, yeah, those. Yeah, that I, as well. Yeah, four yeah. and eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I forgot about that, but it went, really wouldn't have done too much to change. I uh, might have because a lot of the saves were like almost by one. And if you put both those points in dexterity, you would have had a 20 dexterity. That's no, also like no, that's, that's right. Also, it would be twenty. two points. Yeah, it's also it's, true it's, that it's like two. Yeah. the shinobi, or I guess a lot of a lot of classes getting more ability score buffs is, I guess, what you get in exchange for not multiclassing. Because by multiclassing into courtier, I missed an ability score. I sacrificed yeah. that uh. to get. So, like, oh, yeah. you know, you get ability score buffs, uh, I guess, for going straight. And I guess that's supposed to kind of make up for the lack of versatility. I guess. Actually, I don't know. It, I don't it think it is. It is supposed to. And like, like I said, I did. I forgot all about that. I forget. I forgot to yeah. add all that because it's it's been a while since I played fifth edition and created a character. And I think it's been like three years now. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a while for me, too. I, get, I gave up on the game. Um, and one D&D, sadly, is not looking much better. And especially you know, after else, the, yeah. Something else I, uh, I uh, well, nope, never mind. I did that right. Forget it. Forget I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Well, that's one of the interesting me. things is you can do multi-classing <laughs> or you can go straight in this and they both have their benefits they both have their drawbacks but not i don't not, know um it, i i hate i hate to disagree with you it's like multi-classing seems to be where they want you to go and where it's encouraged in this game and yeah. that's what yeah, I, was about I agree to with that yes it, yeah. it seems that they want you to spread your skill set around a little bit yeah so i like i said as i was looking at my character going straight shinobi so okay, okay, I nerfed myself a little by forgetting the uh, stat buffs. Mm-hmm. But even then, like I said the without having any conditions, it nerfs also my damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, using, I can tell what you mean. Sickle. Yeah, I'm mean, using chainsickle. It's a D six plus basically dex like i said because i it's a finesse weapon so mm-hmm. with the nerve nerve myself it's only plus three so four to nine points of damage if i get a condition on them now i get an additional 3d4 per condition up to maximum 94 so if i got three conditions hey i've got a lot extra dice there but like with what you did bren and Steve, you multi-classed, so you had other things that boosted it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does kind of feel like, I know like one of the big challenges when you have like, I guess, a hit and run or solo class where like the idea is that you're you're not ever going to be fighting someone on equal or fair ground. You're going to be ambushing and running away or fighting someone with conditions or someone who doesn't know you're there. Um, I know that like one of the challenges with that 
games try to balance that so that that one character doesn't outclass the party. I guess unless they're a wizard. If they're a wizard, they're allowed to outclass the party. But if you're um if you're they try to balance the game so that you don't outclass, but sometimes they overcorrect and you end up with right. a character that does one thing uh and I don't know, one trick Not ponies. Not all that good with it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's a little design yeah, puzzle, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm going to straight up say that we could probably have taken both those sword saints if we were all fighting them. Probably, yes. I've been Even impressed if they were to by do five how attacks. much... Yeah, agreed. Like, if they have to split those yeah. attacks up, or if they have to deal with... Yeah. If one person can soak it all, and then... Yeah, generally, I think they're balanced for that reason, but having mm-hmm. a lot of folks at once, or 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 being hit suboptimally really does matter. Yeah. Well, the yeah. last card that Decori faced off against, he was one or two good strikes away from um, uh, putting the guard down. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, if you hit, like, if you had, like, one or two more hits, you would have won. Yeah. If, First, if you would have died had, anyways, but yeah, whatever. If my dice had not <laughs> betrayed me, I, I would have downed that. Yeah. And then he would have gone to the afterlife anyways, but still. Yeah. Uh, you know, as long as we're talking about that, I will mention one of the things I liked about the dueling rules or the way that the dueling was done. Uh, a problem that a lot of games have where you have a combat mini game. Uh, I'm going to look, I'm, I'm just going to yeah. go ahead and say games like Shadowrun, where yeah. you have a hacking game, you know, where like the net running and it basically is just that player doing stuff and having fun while everyone else sits on their hands and waits for this mm-hmm. mini game to resolve before everyone else can do stuff. That's a that I mm-hmm. think is a fundamental flaw with a lot of games cuz ideally everyone should be engaged at once and everyone should be as involved as as allowed by the story. Uh, I like that the that the dueling rules in the book seemed to be described that they integrated into combat so that not only are people still getting their turns and things happening around the duel, but you have a chance for environmental factors to affect the duel as well because it's not happening in a pocket dimension. So I like right. that a lot. I, yeah. I can tell that sensibility was a good thing to include. Yeah, yeah I from, agree. You go from out what I've heard, the field. Cyberpunk Red does that mechanic as well it's like they have the main runners do a round and then they have the net runners do like a, a round or two and then they have the main guys and then and and it goes back and forth yeah if you go out into any battlefield you're not gonna suddenly go whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. everybody stop fighting we're gonna do something <laughs> and then you well, guys can do your stuff again in <laughs> cyberpunk's def- not really defense but the reason they did it that way is because uh, deck running or whatever I don't remember what it was called exactly you're talking about it's supposed to be like instantaneous yeah. Yeah. Shadow yeah, run, shadow run decking yeah. yeah it's supposed to be like you're in you're out and it's instantaneous like there was no time which was really bad design but it well, made sense because you're working at the speed of thought and that's what the process the thinking process they had was right of course that is how that. it's just yeah, that is how it's described in the William Gibson works it ripped off. But uh, I, yeah. you know, in terms of playability, 
I think. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I know I, what you're I, saying. Yeah. It's yeah. playability. It's awful. You sh- it should take, and, and to be honest, there's no way you could. Uh, I don't want to get into the science of it all, but yeah, it's <laughs> electronics doesn't work that way. Yeah, like, take a step back. Just look at our download speeds now. Take a step back, <laughs> like, Brent. It takes, yeah, I'm not. I'm, hey, I'm not going into it. At least we're not back in the 1980s and 90s. You're telling me yeah. you're telling me that uh, that cinematic masterpiece Johnny Mnemonic was not accurate. <laughs> In its depiction <laughs> of <laughs> no, it, it takes time. Actually, it was a true story write, about me. Yes. Whoops. Uh, the short but story. But anyways, was better, that's but... that's beside the point. Right, right. Yeah, beside the point. I love it though. Uh, tangent. Yes. I love it though. <clears throat> yeah. I do. I do. Um, I do wonder though. Like, is dueling? Well, this is going to sound weird. It, is a dueling mechanic strictly necessary in this game, I wonder? Or did it just convolute combat more? Um, the way they did it, I think it would be. Because they did it to increase the speed of the combat. So, so why can't like, I just... It, like, say we were... Um, well, it's... The way I understood their meaning was they were supposed to, like, the increased dice, you deal more damage, and you kill the opponent a lot faster. Yeah, but why can't I just well, assign danger dice? Fits because duels usually are, um, are rather quick. Yeah, and, um, but, and I agree with that, but it seems weird to gate the danger dice mechanic behind a duel, necessarily. Um... When it's like it's hard to like cross the line of the ab- the abstractification of well now I am in a duel and now I'm not I I know like in a Kurosawa film for instance like if I'm talking about Sa- yeah. Sanjiro the duel at the end of Sanjiro I understand why it was yeah. one strike to kill we started less than a foot apart we were staring at each other with no armor it was just the two of us and whoever drew the sword first was gonna was gonna kill the other. Um, and in that sense, it makes sense, but in the context of like a mass fight happening in D and D logic, I don't know that it makes sense to gate danger dice behind a dueling Uh, mechanic. Yeah. It's also like, uh, I know you can have clashes in the middle of a, a combat scene in like normal Rokugan, but to be honest, I didn't understand why they needed to increase the strife in um, just dueling. Like that strife, that cumulative strife cost that the I dueling th- has. and Because that's going to develop when you're on a battlefield too. Yeah. I, th- I think it was like, just another I way to that, try and speed again, it up. Yeah, it's, it's to speed it up so that you have the uh, the unmasking happen and then you get that free strike but maybe that should happen yeah, during combat anyway uh, like maybe maybe combats take yeah. too long as it is and there should be a escalation mechanic inherent to a combat 
regardless of if it is a duel or a or a or a battlefield situation. That, that, or that's basically jumping what into I'm, a burning what building. I was trying to say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not that that's happened in our campaign. <laughs> oh, no. We we actually had a person jump into a burning building in this camp in the main campaign. We did. Yep. I don't remember it. Yeah. 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 Guru. Oh right, right. Yeah. Okay, now I remember. Love it. Love it. But, crab. He's crazy. Whatever. No one ever said yeah. that our magistrates were safe. And it's not like Robert Denton hasn't written any characters that jump into a burning building to save someone either. Yeah. I feel so Spoiler. bad for her. Sorry. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. I, I found that I Okay, spoiler. So skip ahead maybe 30 seconds. I love that scene at the end of Death Walker. It was great. I loved it. I thought it was, okay, this is how a Death Seeker, or Death Seeker, sorry, not Death Walker, Death Seeker. Uh, You know, briefly, I thought. That's that's how she. Briefly, I thought you were talking about Risen from the Flames. I just realized I've made oh, that bur- too, I've done a burning I- building twice in my L5R career. I've had a heroine <laughs> jump into just, a burning building. I just realized that too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, wow. She jumped in to save those scrolls. <laughs> well, it is a it is a trope. It, it's a trope. And it's, it's a, a good trope, trope when it's done well. Yeah, mm. and it's a trope for a reason. Jumping into a burning building to save someone or something important to them. A burning building is uh no joke either. Like I was I was researching what yeah. that uh just how dangerous that is and it's dangerous for multiple factors oh, and yeah. then and then you can die suddenly afterward so <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah that's why that's why fire uh, men wear all that gear to go in a burning building mm-hmm. yep uh it's scary yeah it's very scary uh, uh anyways yeah i guess like uh, I'm going to, yeah, I guess I'll say this. Uh, So this, like I said, is my first time playing fifth ed and it's my first time playing adventures in Rokugan. And I, I had fun and I I had a blast. I really enjoyed the adventure. Uh, But I have to say coming from indie games and playing Dungeons and Dragons, it, uh, I'll just make enemies. It never felt like I was playing a role-playing game. It did not feel like a collaborative uh, storytelling experience. It felt like I was playing a tabletop strategy game and any role-playing was incidental. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's my joke for, joke for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So your role-playing game. So where are your rules for role-playing? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what uh, Dungeons and Dragons came from. Is it started it out as a tabletop mm-hmm. strategy game? Chainmail, right? Scary Guy Dex said, "Oh, well, yeah. we'll add a little uh, role playing element to it." So, and it was hmm. designed originally f- not for actors and stuff like that, and performances and playing a character. It was designed to get go in places, kill stuff, and take their no kill things and take their stuff. It's and still kind of is that right? <laughs> It very much is that. It, it very, very much, much is that, that. yes. It all depends on what style of play you want. I mean, uh, I love the L5R roll and keep system because it builds a um, a story um, mm-hmm. along with some of the incidental combat. Um, same same thing with the White Wolf storytelling system. 
is you have Just a story a and, and right the back. dice tell you how well or how how well you succeed or how badly you fail. Stuff like D&D is when you just want to get in there and hack and slash and it's kind of cathartic like that. I can, like I can see. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And, and not, neither side, neither side is bad. It's just what you want to play. Yeah, it's, I, I agree with Steve on that. Basically the white wolf, the rolling keeps, um, even the new star Wars, new systems those are all you've got your quote unquote hack and slash but it's a story set up to it D&D and new Adventures of Rokugan at least the way we did it it is a hack and slash purely Mm -hmm. you can if you get the right type of people Mix in some storytelling, some role playing in there, but it's a lot harder and it doesn't, it's not really the narrative backstory isn't set up for it. The dice are, oh, do you hit, do you miss? Where uh, in the Star Wars, it's like, oh, you've hit, but there was a complication, or you miss, but something good came about but by your missing. Yeah, or the games like D and D actively, yeah, the mechanics of D and D actively fight you. Yeah, yeah, and they do. I think that's why a lot of GMs are like, I don't really want to run Fifth Edition because it requires it puts everything on the GM to create a good a story story and nothing on the players. Man, I could write. I feel like I could write an article about quality control as it pertains like the quality control of your game and uh the experience of a gm and whether or not people stick with your game based on like how easy it is to play like if a game depends on the gm that heavily to determine the experience and whether or not it's it's run well whether or not people have fun whether or not the game is perceived to function then that should mean you would want to make a minimalist rule set or a rule set that is intuitive with the least amount of rules and taxon possible. At its core, D, like Dungeons and Dragons, playing Adventures in Rokugan, we were literally just rolling a D20 and adding a number to it and comparing that number to another number, which is pretty darn simple. That's not convoluted at all. It's all the extra stuff. All the other stuff that's tacked on, like ranges and the movements and variables and, you know, uh, it's not nearly as bad as what I remember from um, 3.5, though, where rules is written. You couldn't see the moon like it's not it wasn't like that. And I I appreciate that. This was definitely the most approachable version of of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I can see why it's become so popular. So yeah. I, I like well, that I, about it, but I don't know. So I never because felt of D&D's like popularity. Yeah. Oh, because of D and D's popularity, a lot of people have said this is that <laughs> Adventures in Rokugan is a great way to introduce people to the setting. We've just played Adventures in Rokugan. What do you think of that? I've got uh, thoughts, well, okay. but I'm going to let others say them first. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I expressed these thoughts earlier on our Facebook and Twitter pages. 
it's a lot easier to introduce a player, but also I would not introduce a new GM with this. No. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that straight up because, like, like we said, it is, puts a lot of. The, you think uh, this is more difficult to GM than the Fantasy Flight Fifth Ed L5R? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I'm going to straight up and, and say um, that's the biggest problem with. Uh, it's because the players they're not burdened by oh I have to know a clan i have to know a family i have to know a school um that's basically where i'm coming from you don't have that massive lore barrier the barrier of entry uh, lore wise is a lot lower than in the, the the normal game so it's easier for players however a GM's gonna need to know that some of that lore, so the lore dump, the lore barrier entry is still there for the GM as it is for the origin of the other games. Uh, there does seem to be I, I less lore how. in this book than yeah. in other source books. Yeah, and I do like not if you want to know a lot about the Naga, problem. you want to play a Naga, and you want to know a lot about what the Naga are like in canon. You have to buy mm-hmm. Rid of the Wilds. Because that information yeah. is not in Adventures in Rokugan. Like, if I was like, that hey, might be we're interested. Yeah. Um, like, to me, like, okay, so the perfect, D- for my, just my opinion, the perfect D20 game is Dungeon Crawl Classics. It, it takes a lot of burden off the GM. It's a lot of burden off the players. It is D&D distilled. It's not cut down. It's not cut apart. It's distilled into a good shot of what makes D&D great. And none of that extra fatty uh, uh, carbohydrates that are just like there for fluff. It You can basically create fluff as you go. It encourages players to be creative. Like the warrior in that you get all your feats at first level is just whether you can do them or not depends on a dice roll and you make up your feats as you go along. So it encourages even warriors. The, the stereotypical, I rolled a hit. Oh, I hit uh, ideal damage. No. So that that's just my opinion. And that's because it takes a lot off the, t- like it takes a lot of burden off the GM and it takes a lot of burden off the player, put, puts it on the players a little bit, but not heavy enough, because it also takes a lot of the stuff that burdens D&D away. You remind me of a game called Fellowship, which is my mm-hmm. favorite uh, Lord of the Rings style Western fantasy game. Uh, it's a game where part of built into its mechanics is that you are playing as a as a champion of your people and uh, the lore of the world and the setting is built as you mm-hmm. play. So when we need yes. to know something about the elves, we look to the elven player, the player who's playing the elf, and we say, okay, tell us about the elves. Like here we are in an yeah. elven village. What does it look like? What are the what are the elves doing? And it it kind of cleverly divides tasks that would normally be only the GM's tasks among the players in a way that mm-hmm. doesn't defeat the idea that it's a game. 
it really helps support the storytelling aspect. And the more and more I play so-called traditional RPGs, the more and more I miss that angle. Because yeah, I think you're right. I think as a GM, I shouldn't have to do all of this bookkeeping to run an encounter. Every GM that I've ever talked to gets excited when they open up the the monster manual and they, there's like a three-page, four-page monster. And they're like, God, this is so cool. It does all these things. I cannot wait to unleash all these legendary actions and blah, blah, blah. And then they actually run it and it's a slog. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, gosh, I can't even... I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm also gonna say this: ninety-nine percent of GMs out there are not Matthew Mercer. No, and they shouldn't like, have to be. Like you're, no, you're not. Shouldn't. You don't have to entertain a camera. You're just playing and having fun. Yeah, but yeah. that's kind of what ninety percent of the players want nowadays. Is what is that's, that's how I feel. Um, at least when I was GMing Fifth uh, Edition all those years ago, I really tried to emulate Matthew Mercer with, but I was running adventures uh, not adventures in Rokugan um, oh adventure paths for the adventures league that's that's what it was the adventures okay. league for D&D and I tried to emulate Matthew Mercer it is hard that man has more <laughs> experience GMing than I do and he also uh he also does a thing where he takes the, he puts a, a, some of the burden on his players too to create the world. That's how it should be. And with world creation, I mean, how limit? I I I have my answer for this. How limiting is the fact that we've got this really rich world that the players of the LCG have had a heavy hand in over the years, and now we've got fantasy flights era where we've got a different a slightly different mm -hmm. world different continuity how yeah. a lot of people talk about l5r your way you play in your rokugan and do you so do you what think is that players yeah. are do you think players see because I have heard, I've asked this question on Discord, on the Discord, and the general consensus on the Discord seems to have been like, well, if I'm not playing in canonical L5R, why am I even playing this game? And that kind of makes me sad, yeah. to be honest. That's an answer that makes me sad. Yeah. I think I think folks should reinterpret. If you want to play in canonical L5R, you should. But I don't think players mm -hmm. should hesitate to tweak things, and they definitely shouldn't hold back because they might affect meta plot or canon you know to me that's just silly you should play uh, yeah the game you want to play yeah, i i agree because i have this uh l5r setting that if i could make money off of it and sell it i would actually absolutely write this down and get some help with it which is kind of this um tokugawa slash meiji era kind of point in history it's because i'm like I, i'm also a person that believes okay you don't have to be 100 historical um, mimicry on creating a world based off a of real culture so this is kind of like uh it's post sengoku era rokugan 
the Void Empress has basically reunified the the nation, the the empire, and now it's like the biggest debate now is whether or not we should op- they should open up their borders to foreign trade because you know the whole problem is that war cost that war took a lot of did a lot of damage. So it's kind of like a mix between the Meiji era and the becoming of the Tokugawa era. But, and I would love to play that, run that for some people, but I, I get like, uh, but why, why are we doing that? Why want to play in the regular Rokugan? And I, I've gotten that a few times. Well, from my perspective, answering Chris's question, yeah, I'm, I'm an old school L5R. I started in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the setting from the nineties. I enjoy the storyline from the nineties, but I don't have I don't have to have everything canonical to oh this is what the way it was mm-hmm. when I was younger, twenty years, thirty years, forty years, whatever. Yeah. But so with that, there I understand there are people out there that believe that you shouldn't you've got a world you shouldn't change anything there i can admit that there are some things with the major characters that i'm like eh, i'm not sure if i like this change but it's a change okay mm-hmm. if you're running a game it should be your game mm-hmm. you're using the world setting maybe your timeline isn't the timeline of the current meta. Mm-hmm. So, oh, we're not, we're running in this timeline that's nowhere in any lore out there. So you can make up characters, you can make up sex and stuff, or you can say, okay, I'm, I'm going to run in this timeline, but I'm making changes. It's an alternate Roka mm-hmm. So not everything that's happened in the official stuff is there. I would say from a player who enjoys playing, for the most part, it doesn't bother me. Because mm-hmm. to me, Rokugan, yes, it's based on the Japanese, the Chinese, the Korean. It's based on stuff from the real, real world, but it's not real world. Now, if you had, oh, we're going to have these Rokugani and they're going to be all black. Mm, okay, Rokugan's supposed to be an Asian style and you're going all black. I might have a little bit of an issue there. But it's like, okay, we're yeah. playing in Rokugan. We have some Gaijin that have come in through the Mantis Isles. So they're there, but it's not, oh, everyone's white. Everyone's black. Everyone's native American. Well, it, it shouldn't be that way. Like, uh, I hate to say it. Well, I don't hate to say it. Never mind. I don't hate to say it. People got around. Like, the first oh, Western samurai was a black man. Yeah, he was. Oh, I know. Yeah. And yep. People got around. It's surprisingly like what empires do is that uh, with the at least with, with the big complaint like oh it's, it's European history it should uh, there should only be white guys no the Roman Empire previous to European medieval history moved a lot of people around yeah. they took no. a lot of people from Africa put them up in uh, uh, 
their African portion of the empire and put them up in their northern portion of the empire, uh, Britain or Britannia or whatever you want to call it. I don't remember what they called it back then. Britannia. Um, no, what I'm saying, though, is if you're so we'll take the, the Roman aspect. You're playing mm-hmm. in a, a game that's set in Rome or the Roman time frame. Yes, you're playing mm-hmm. up in Britannia. But if every single person there is of one ethnicity that is from a different area of the world. So the innkeeper is Asian. The lord is Asian. The peasants is Asian. There's a problem there. I don't know. If you're going, okay, you're in this area, you've got... the Caucasians all one and one ethnicity. Got- that's the problem. That that's yeah. it's like that's the biggest problem because there's no such thing like even in Japan to put despite what the Yamato Japanese wants you to believe, Japan's not a monoculture. It's not a mono ethnicity either. Mm-hmm. There 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 are hundreds of ethnicities in Japan from yeah. immigration from sadly forced immigration and uh, the Ainu and people you had the, on the top big- of that. You had the big conflicts between the Yamato uh, and mm-hmm. other uh, native cultures there, like the Amishi and uh, yeah. the Inu and yeah. the Ririkians yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I, I guess yeah, here's I, I guess my question, Ren, how do you feel then about a adventures in Rokugan where no one is playing a human or a samurai? Everyone's playing like. Like you got two Nazumi, you got a Tengu, you got uh, <laughs> a Naga, and no one's playing a Bushi or a Duelist. Uh, how would you feel? Would that still be L5R? Yes, because in the L5R setting, you have these creatures. You have the Nazumi, you have the Tengu, you have the Naga. It It's still in the world of L5R, but then the the way the story is going, it's not going to be, oh, you go to court. Because so if no. you're not human, it's be a different different storyline, but it's still L5R. What so I was trying to get at with the... that same group, yes. if that same group were all Gaijin, suddenly it's no longer L5R? Yeah, so if it's an all Gaijin... Yeah, if it's an all Gaijin group. But what I was trying to get at is like, okay, you're running, running the whole set. Yeah, you can have all Gaijin group, but if... They go to the Lion Castle, and everyone in the Lion Castle is Gaijin. There are no, quote, Asian or Rokugani there. Then that's not. If this whole Gaijin group, they go to a, the Lion Castle, and the the Bushi there are looking at them because, oh, these are Gaijin. They're, it is a mm-hmm. Rokugan story. That's that was what I was trying to get at is like if you're all homogenous yeah. of a group that's not typical for that setting. So I'm not not talking about the, the uh, party. I'm oh, talking about so, everyone. Well, it's basically. So I guess yeah, my, a, I guess what I'm looking at because to touch upon a little bit uh, yeah. personally, I don't uh, I don't think there's anything. Like the, the scenario you described, I actually don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Uh, but I do think that what we're all kind of gnawing around is the question of whether or not Adventures in Rokugan is L5R. 
because it does its very existence to my mind seems to challenge what makes L5R what it is. What I loved about L5R was that it was a Kurosawa movie simulator with fantasy in it. Yeah. And yeah. Adventures in Rokugan is not that. So mm-hmm. is it still L5R or is it D&D with Rokugan as wrapping paper? I I have to say it feels to me more like just reading the book and playing the game. It definitely feels more the second or the latter later than the former because I don't feel the tension in the and this is the problem I've always felt with D&D fifth edition. I never felt the tension of the game. Uh it's just there's no I don't know how it's like there's no uh, I'm trying to think of like because I I do watch a lot of samurai movies and there's no it doesn't feel like a samurai movie at all it's definitely got a different sort of approach to it like the, Mm -hmm. the thing that made they that was implied in previous editions of L5R and then encoded uh, was that was that struggle between your personal obligations and what mm-hmm. you what your personal desires were and being caught in sort of a pendulum swing between the two. That's always sort of been the classical struggle in a lot of samurai films. And let's be honest, mm-hmm. samurai films, they're anachronistic. That is not an accurate representation of Japan any more than an American Western is an accurate representation of the American West. Uh, no, and, it's not. Yeah, it's not, not at all. No. <laughs> not no. even a little bit. That's, so, that's, yeah, that's uh, – that's, 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 like, Yeah. Uh, so I think that I, like I, 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 I agree with yeah. you that this game, it doesn't really do that. It doesn't kind of put that on. Instead, it's – it's got the gameplay loop of D&D. So I think that's kind of what, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. I don't yeah. want to speak for Ren or others, but I think that we're all kind of grappling a little bit with, well, it, how much of L5R made it into this game? You had originally asked if this was going to be like the people are saying, like if this is the crossover, if this is what's going to get a lot of D&D players into the L5R setting. I don't know... Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that it will, but I don't know that it will because a lot of what made uh, L5R yeah. what it is didn't make it into Adventures in Rokugan. I wonder if the opposite will happen, if L5R will become more like D&D. And I kind of hope yeah. that's not yeah. what happens. I, I hope right. not. Yeah. No. yeah, but to answer your question, you actually have hit pretty much what I was saying. I was, I may not have been saying it in a decent way. But yeah, because for me, the Rokugan is about that intrigue, it's intrigue of yeah. the court. Even though I play crab, crab samurai most of, or crab most of the time, even <laughs> then it's I've got this duty, but I got this longing, and I I hope Chris can say that I've been trying to portray that in the regular game because mm-hmm. there is this longing I have as. Guru, Kenny Guru. But he has this duty and it, it frustrates the heck out of him that he can't 
do what he wants because he is a magistrate. He has to do basically magisterial jobs, but he wants to go and basically to the Shadowlands and start killing all Shadowlands so they can find out who basically murders the village. So and I'm going to be playing on that here again shortly when we get back to the main campaign. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that aspect is there. That is what to me makes Rokugan. And yeah, Adventures of Rokugan, yeah, it's it's fun, but it is D&D. Yeah. It yes. is your combat already. The, the, the tension of the, the duality of a, a person's what they want to do versus what they're the duty bound to do isn't there. Yeah. I know in, in this small setup, my mindset for Shoshoro Ren was, okay, I need to get this information and get it back. But the last, the last episode was like, oh, I'm I've got this advantage that I can probably hopefully take this guy out thereby saving my companions or a little bit. But it's so. So I guess uh, devil's advocate time. Let's say I play, I take down L5R fifth edition fantasy flight game. Uh, we all make characters and it's, uh, you know, the strife based uh, roll and keep game. And then I pull out on no, my, okay. off my shelf Night of a Thousand Screams. And we play that classic uh, running fight through uh, running fight through the city. Uh, and we never ever have a personal uh, crisis and never ever actually have a choice between what we personally desire and our duty just because there's so much chaos going on and we're just trying to save everyone we can did we still play l5r is that a essential part of the stew mm, i kind of feel that way like uh, and, and to be honest with the way you described it you could put uh something like that like oh you gotta save this person you care about or this thing that your Lord says that you need yes. to save. Yes. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, cause it's like, Oh, I have this scroll. You need to protect this scroll with your life. Oh no. The love of your life is all stuck in a burning building. Let's just go back to that. They're stuck in a burning building. Yes. You have this scroll. Yes. Your duty is to protect this scroll. Going in there puts that scroll at risk of catching on fire. Even in that, even it's lacquer box. You still could do that. Guru puts the scroll in his inside of his uh, kimono, runs into the building to save his life, and hopefully his kimono is yeah. tough enough to do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of depends on your roles there, but that, that's yeah. beside the yeah. point. But no, that's that would be so. Then to make adventures in Rokugan more Rokugan, mm-hmm. would we then just need to? install our own homebrewed rules for Nino for uh, for uh, Geary and 
Ninjo. Uh, Ninjo, thank Ninjo. you. Ninjo. Uh, well, it's it's interesting because they did include. It's actually one of the things I love the most about Adventures in Rokugan. Mm-hmm. They ejected alignments and replaced them with these motivations. And uh, I wonder, I mean, I think you can use the existing motivations to kind of do that, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, having, cause I, cause there are things where if there are complications between say your desire motivation and your ideal or your fear motivations, then you get inspiration for those things. So there's some mechanical, there's kind of a mechanical system included, but it's not, I guess it feels tangential to the game, whereas in the roll and keep game, it is integrated. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Like you need those dramatic pulls like between two things that are like opposites of each other or against each other. Um, Sadly, I don't think uh, the roll and keep does it the best because it kind of pins a lot on the players like knowing uh, what their lord is and Mm. so you can't really create that or really think about it too much but you can think about your personal desire like what you want uh i think and i i I I do think think it also puts some on the gm to create those situations and to create that tension Yes, it does. Um, it's the same problem I had with morality when I was running uh, Force and Destiny. That also created those dramatic pulls. It puts a lot on the GM to decide, okay, this is... If you do this, it's this much conflict. If you do that... And it, it's just very hard to to get those situations, especially when you're in a groove and the game is flowing so well, like... How, how do you introduce something into that fast moving game? Or if you if you're having a very slow game and it's just kind of dragging on and you try and introduce something and the players are just like not interested in that and they don't gravitate towards it. Well, you do that's need another buy-in, issue. Yeah. yeah, you need the buy in too. And it's like. It really requires you to know um not only your players, but not only your player characters, but your players as well. To know, like, oh, this is this is going to really hook Chris in. This is I, I I know Chris well enough that I could probably I, and I have done a few uh, things that hooked Chris in a little bit. Mm. Uh, and I've done that to all my players that I know really well. That I I, I know if I put this in there, it's going to re- attract that person very strongly. Because I know that person very well. Yeah. And you could create great dramatic tension with that. But that is also, you're playing with people for years before you get to that point. So it, it's, it's, that's the downside to that. Um, so, yeah. I do think something Adventures in Rokugan addresses, although I guess we didn't do this so much in our adventure because we all played the same clan. Like mm-hmm. we were all Scorpion. Yes. But in uh, Adventures in Rokugan, they seem to make, take a, a subtle effort to break down the, the clan barrier 
it was always mm-hmm. kind of like a big problem where it was like everyone's going to play a different clan why would we all work together and even like the yeah. go-to solution of emerald magistrates didn't really always <laughs> solve that problem yeah. uh this adventures uh, in rokugan seems to actually kind of break down that barrier a little bit more and make it so that you have more justifications for a for a group of all sorts of different characters you know what i mean and it does kind of present an empire where maybe you would run into a castle with a bunch of gaijin running it you know it presents a very different uh empire it does but uh i i I don't remember which book it introduced (laughs) it in if it introduced it in any of the books um it was the concept of destiny as something like if you could if you could basically convince all your players that you're destined to do something that's another good dramatic pull that adventures in rokugan i think kind of uses i i don't remember Mm. and i don't remember if they introduced it in the dragon book or if they introduced it in uh because uh, I know for the Ronin book, and they used the Ronin book for the Dragon book as well, uh, they introduced uh, the past. And the past is something like you're running from or you're trying to keep away from. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting. So there's other ways to do it now. Like, hey, you're all like, um, I, I still say that the fourth edition. Uh, play uh, not player's handbook the fourth edition core rulebook has the best explanations of alternate to alternates to a multi-clan game that are not emerald magistrates and i wish ffg put that in the fifth edition book but i, I kind of understand they why they didn't because book space basically yeah. is what my best guess is <laughs> a uh, uh, a underutilized they, campaign is imperial cartographers i love that like, yes, yeah, we're all from which I really enjoyed that book from, uh, what was that? David Annadale wrote that book? Yeah. I yeah, think, that, well, wait, that was actually really about... fun. I liked that. Uh, yeah. To chart the clouds. I, yeah, I think it was David. I think that was Evan Dick. Well, was it? Evan, Evan Dickens? Dickens, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Let me double check. It's on my shelf. <laughs> you're right, Robert. Evan Dickens. Yeah, Evan Dickens. Evan Dickens. Yeah. I just look in so the back of the flower path for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it. So, but that was a very well done story that had a lot of t- tension and a lot of like ooh twists and turns. I love that one. That was a good mm. one. And it was Imperial Cartographers. Yeah. The problem was, oh, we found this. We found land. Who gets the land now? <laughs> like. That, 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 like, land is valuable. Land is the most valuable thing. It's like what Lex Luthor said. It's the only thing they're not making any more of. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I also did very much enjoy that. It was an excellent book. Have we gone super off topic? I can't, I don't know. (laughs) Not really. Yeah, somewhat. Okay. Not super. Uh, Not too much. But yeah, it, I, I that's what I was trying to say at the beginning. Like that's one of the things that the lore barrier to entry got rid of in Adventures of Rokugan was definitely the clan barriers, because you don't have to play a clan member in that game. Mm. No, it's, yes. 
Yeah, when they added all of the possible non-humans, it definitely did take mm-hmm. the clans out of it. It made also, it's like, okay, let's do uh, Gaijin, or let's do these non-humans, mm-hmm. or let's do X. The full-on Nozumi run, or full-on Naga run. Yeah. Yeah. The irony is that you also run into issues when people play great clans and then one person plays a Ronin. Because for Ronin, it's oh, a yeah. fundamentally different empire, and you yeah. don't have the same hook into duty as you do uh, with, a, with a clan samurai, minor or great. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost like if you want to run L5R in the way that L5R wants to be run, you have to eject the idea of Ronin player characters and that feels wrong because the Ronin character is so essential for a Kurosawa movie, for a Chanbara film. Yes. You oh, know? Yeah. So, like Sanjuro, and yeah, that's basically what the plot of Sanjuro is. Yeah. And spoiler if you haven't seen that movie yet. Basically, he's. See Yojimbo first, uh, though. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Yojimbo. Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Lone Wolf and Cop, he's a Ronin in that battling all this great clan samurai and ninja. Uh, I actually just picked up that comic. They're re-releasing it now. It's pretty good. Uh, Like, Asagi Yojimbo, he's a Ronin dealing Mm -hmm. with great clan characters. That's actually one of my biggest issues with L5R is that it does... The core L5R does not uh, tell a Chanbara... Like, uh, 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 let me reword that. The core mentality of L5R is not geared for a true Chanbara film. Because hmm. a true Chanbara film is like you're, it's always about the outsider showing the insiders how it's done. That is one of the core of it. It's one of the core stories of a Chanbara film. Yeah, it's like because uh, it's always the oh, the clan is corrupt. Well, this these insiders now have to deal with this outsider showing them like, oh, this is bad. You realize this is bad. That's worse. You realize how that's worse kind of joke? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, it is it, like it, about the outsider infiltrating the insider Mm -hmm. group uh that is kind of like a recurring theme uh or the outsider or the insiders looking to the outsider for help uh Mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah that's definitely always kind of been a big thing that was the whole plot of harikiri oh what Uh, a great movie it's like it is a freaking phenomenal movie, and it's actually really shows the dark side of samurai. I, I yeah. believe in, a, in an era that was showing like, oh, there are dark samurai, but there's always this good samurai. No, there were no good samurai in that. That guy was a, that guy was a monster. The way he just kind of forced all those, spoiler, where he didn't kill them. He basically cut their top knot off. Yeah, which is a lot harder to do. <laughs> Which showed his skill, but basically, but I gotta say though, it, I was it, on his side. 
I gotta say though, oh, I side yeah, with you're him on his side. He is yeah. still uh oh, he yeah. is still being a very, very awful human being. <laughs> Despite, yeah, he, um, like, but it's understandable why he's being yeah, coming awful from a storyteller, yes, you can have a hero that's an absolute asshole, but you still care about what happens to him. He's oh, yeah. um yeah. it's it's interesting because a lot of the a lot of those movies, like Harry Carey especially a lot of those movies have social commentaries and criticisms that we as Western audiences mm-hmm. miss because yeah. they're levied. And then, of course, you have – did you know that Akira Kurosawa's critics in Japan, they criticized his movies because they said he made movies for a Western audience, not for a Japanese audience, that his <laughs> movies were yeah. aimed towards the West. Uh I find that kind of a fascinating thing because especially now when like the accuracy of the idea of like a code of Bushido is uh, a lot is brought up more often or whether or not mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to call them cheeseburger samurai uh, media mm-hmm. accurately represents uh, historic Japan or whether or not it should uh, if we're misrepresenting a culture or not. A lot of that stuff coming up, I, I think back to Kurosawa being criticized of aiming toward a Western audience. And yeah. I do wonder if a lot of our ideas uh, are misinformed because we relied so heavily on Japanese media to tell us about them. Yeah, it, it, it's completely different, like going from like uh, how uh, I'm trying to think of the right words. Being raised in a culture, being aware of your own culture, and then witnessing another culture—it's it's completely different. It's like yeah, uh, it, it's the three blind men trying to describe an elephant to one each other, and they're all at different ends yeah. of the elephant, uh, describing like, oh, this this has got a, it's long, it's it's flexible. Oh, this must be a snake, and you know stuff like that. I don't remember how it all goes, but it's. Yeah, because uh, I, I can talk to one thing like uh, Vossen, if you ever heard of that game. Uh, it's made by a, a, a Scandinavian, a Swedish uh, house, and it's about uh, Scandinavian fairies and monsters from uh, the post-Viking era is what I, what I generally call it. Yeah. But you have to realize that, as with much, uh, as with all folklore, it's designed to other a lot of people. Yeah, and you don't realize that when you're in the culture too. So That's even true. then, they, like being in the culture puts some blinders on you. Which is why, uh, this is why, in my opinion, is like if you're right, even if you're writing something from your own culture, you should probably get some. Uh, consultants in to like some other eyes on it you should always have other eyes on your work absolutely yeah, different always. viewpoints always just at this different viewpoints will point something out to you that you you just totally either glossed over or didn't even see like, like the whole problem with trolls and goblins actually being you know jewish people like this yeah exactly life. yeah uh, I, I, I have to say that it's like that's what they were. They were based off of it. Um, the way that in uh, 
just let me pull up his name. Uh, Johan, is that right? Johan Egerkskan's book, which is what the game was based off of. He describes them as like trolls are just like us, except for they just don't believe in God and Jesus. Oh, boy. Which, um, I wonder what I wonder Yikes. what you're talking about there. Yeah. 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 There is rampant uh, anti-Semitism and a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I have a, I have a book of Scandinavian fairy tales. Guess what the devil looks like? Oh, God. <laughs> I even have Yikes. like pictures that I that well that I'm like I need to probably black out because they are really bad. Like they're all Yikes. bad pictures. A lot a lot of them are very beautiful. Some of them are very good, but some of them have like yeah, that's not acceptable. That that's bad. That's not how you should draw that. <laughs> yeah. Uh so but that's another tangent. We should get back on track. Right, right. <laughs> I think a lot of the tangents we go on to do sort of relate back to, mm-hmm. like, the question Chris was asking. Because for Ventures of Rokan being an entryway for people to basically learn, maybe get into Fantasy Flights, now Edge's L5R, mm-hmm. well, the tangent of Vesson has these stereotypes based on how the people who wrote the fairy tales at the time yeah. saw things. And yeah. so it's if we take our preconceived notions and say, okay, we need to look at what we, we think and realize how would it work. So you take it mm-hmm. into, okay, this is what I have for Ventures of Rogue God. Hey, I'm having a great time. I want to take a look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, five rings. So you look at it, and oh, this is a lot different than just hack and slash. Mm-hmm. Is this something that I, as a person, could get into, or do I just want that hack and slash? And so it is a bit, bit there as well. And it could be like, oh, I, I see. It's like I've been playing all this. Okay, now I'm seeing some stereotypes because I have a different mindset. I'm not sure I want to do Legend Five Rings because I don't like the stereotypes, or I don't, or if they're someone who thinks that has those stereotypes, like, hey, I want to play this because I think these guys are X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it could be both, but I think for the most part, if someone likes Adventures of Rock Gun because of the hack and slash combat style, I don't think they would get into the role-playing style, the dynamics of an L5R game. But I think someone who, they're like, okay, the hack and slash is okay, but I want more of the interactions. Yeah. Because we've got these clans. I want more interactions. Oh, here's Legend of Five Rings. It's got the, the hack and slash if need be, but it's more interactive with the players, with the GM and the and the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. So I think it is depending on the person whether Vengeance of the Rokan is a gateway or if it's a deterrent. I have a yeah, question for, for our GM. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, which was easier to run? Adventures in Rokugan or uh, 
Legend of the Five Rings 5th edition. Which is easier or which is more fun? Uh, easier. But, but I'd like, to, I'd like to know both of them, though. I'd like to know the other answer, too. Uh, the uh, D&D, honestly, was easier because it's just numbers versus numbers. And I didn't have to balance out as much. Then again, I was only doing a one shot. More fun? Definitely the roll and keep because ah. I get to see more story. And story is always the more important thing for me in a role playing mm-hmm. game. A mm. lot of times I'll throw out the rules and be like, you know what? I I didn't I don't have rules for what you're doing, but it's awesome. It fits. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Rule cool. cool. Rule cool trumps yeah. everything. Yeah, because because that's what we're doing in the end here. We're ma- we're collaborating and making an awesome story. Yeah. That's cool. I'm Man. sorry. I- <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I but, think a know, one, one shot is that- easier to run sometimes. Yeah. One thing that was severely <laughs> lacking in Adventures in Rokugan: jade inlaid daggers. Yeah, I was really shocked at how few of those there were. (laughs) I'm used to just opening a drawer and finding like a ton. Mm -hmm. And that's that is definitely where the D20, the fifth edition D&D setting, taking the L5R setting and making an adventure rook on misses a lot. And it's as go back to what Brent said. There is a lot of lore to the Legend of the Five Rings setting that they definitely do not have currently in Adventures of Rokugan. I think there will be a lot of people that will enjoy it because they want to play something like that, but they want the hack and slash nature of 5th edition. Mm-hmm. And they don't care about the in-depth lore. The, it's like, okay, why do we have these clans? Why are the Nizumi this way? Why are the Naga this way? Why don't we have all these mon- these quote-unquote monsters all over the place? I think if I were doing a long campaign of Adventures in Rokugan, I would probably either set it in the Shinnaman Forest or in a place like Daylight Castle where I could then throw creatures at you and I'll have to have as much. It just, that's what feels like it would fit with Adventures in Rokugan. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go and spend, how long were we doing Winter Court? A year? <laughs> right. I am well, glad it was that... Long uh, I'm glad that courtiers have a uh, viable combat use in Adventures in Rokugan. Yeah. Because I was worried about yeah, that. That, that was that really nice. That. Yeah. Because that could have been done wrong. But they didn't. They did it correctly, I think. Yeah. I will say that there were, were aspects of the characters that I thought were cool. Mm. And seeing uh, the at the courtier and basically, oh, hey, you do this. 
I get a bonus. Think that that was real cool, but I also think it was the way we as players interacted. They gave some of that. Hmm. Because yeah, I know Brand was talking. Was like, had, it's like okay, I gotta remember that ability. But rather than just saying, "Hey, okay, you get a plus plus two to your next attack," you try to put some reasoning for it. There's a explanation as a bit of a story set up to it. Right. Like with Ikori, um, his whole um, intimidation and causing fear was he was a ghost. He made his mempo move and you knew it was something from the other side and that inherently is scary to a lot of people. Um, it's kind of like a subconscious thing. It's like, okay, this thing is beyond death and he's going to get me. So I leaned heavily into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those, those aspects were what makes made the game actually enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. If you could make one change to Adventures in Rokugan, and, you know, this could be a homebrew rule, it could be completely scrubbing something, what, what would you see changed to improve the system? Hmm. Uh, I hate initiative. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> like, it, I don't like, know that I would change I, I, that. I, like, the joke response is not use 5th edition D&D. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I do yeah. find it is my favorite yeah. initiative system. So my favorite initiative system actually is the Star Wars fantasy flight one where you just have player slot or enemy slot and you can do what you want to with that that's my favorite system Mm. also another initiative system i've run into is um everyone rolls initiative initiative uh the lowest in it rolled initiative declares what they're doing and then you declare up and then you resolve from the highest initiative down yeah so if the the lowest niche says, I'm going to attack this person. Well, that person's dead by the time they get to him. They're attacking, mm-hmm. and well, they miss because they died. Yeah, or A is attacking B. C doesn't want that, so C, C attacks A before A can attack B. Yes, I have also played Burning Wheel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my biggest gripe with initiative in a lot of RPGs is that we've done a bunch of stuff, we've run through the dungeon, we've got the stakes, and then we bust into the final room, and there's the bad guy, and he gives his big speech, and we're at the biggest, most exciting moment. Now everybody stop and do math. It just takes all the (laughs) wind out, you know? It takes all the excitement out, and by the time everyone's ranked up and everything's done and the roles are finished, I have to psych myself up again. And I guess I I like games where initiative... I almost prefer games where there is no initiative role. It's like, oh, you just like the person mm-hmm. who said what they were doing, they do that thing. And there's no ranking, there's no it's just whoever. There was a mm-hmm. game I played um 
that was based off of, I think it was um, Schlock Mercenary. Uh, and it was um, it was literally whoever speaks first, they get first initiative. Then whoever speaks next gets next initiative. And it was in- incredible because it was just people quipping each other and uh, like, you know, trying to beat each other to yeah. the punch and things like that. In, um, yeah, that sounds the, like schlock mercenary. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was so incredible. <laughs> yeah. um, the problem I would have with that style is I like to let other people speak and not interrupt. I get frustrated as hell if I'm speaking, someone interrupts me. Agreed. Well, you still have so, that option. You still have that option in that game. You know? Yeah, but it's if you were doing that style, it's, I would never get to act because I'm I'm not going to be jumping in and browbeating someone else so they can't talk. You would yeah, get I'm, to I'm act exact. because it would come back to you. Like everybody gets one turn. It's more of like who in whose order. Yeah. So you'd still get yeah. a chance. You'd just go last. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but I'm like a Buell here. I hate, hate it when people talk over me. I since like a little pause, I, I jump in and then somebody else talks and it's like, okay, I back off. Another pause, I jump, oh, okay, back off. Yeah, I've <laughs> done that quite often. Yeah, and by the, it's by the time I actually thing. can say something, the topic has moved on to something else. Yeah. yeah. In uh, Fellowship, uh, there's no initiative order. It's literally players go in whatever order they want. So we all get to coordinate ahead of time like we all get to coordinate on the fly what we're doing and in what order we're we're acting and uh when enemies interject because that's a system where the gm never rolls dice either it's always the (laughs) players are reacting to what the uh to what the enemies are doing or the players are suggesting things that they do and they collaborate and work together turns are taken simultaneously it's so much more free-flowing and it 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 helps the timekeeping of that game is a more storytelling based timekeeping in the end that's all initiative is is it's a timekeeping measure so that everyone has an opportunity to do things and i guess i just kind of wish that games like adventures in rokugan and frankly like fifth edition roll and keep also just was a little bit more smooth in the transition from narrative timekeeping to combat. Cause it always just yeah, feels like we I, get jammed up. It's a little jarring. Yeah. Hmm. I, I really yeah. wish both, both games would fix their initiative system and make it more like the Genesis star Wars version. I like yeah, that, that too. Is yeah. A really good system. yeah. In a tiny dungeon, everyone rolls a test and if you pass the test, you go before the enemies. And if you fail the test, you go after. And I've found that to be a decent mm. compromise because we're still rolling. That's a pretty nice system, yeah. Yeah. It seems pretty good. It works It's a, for a minimal game, which is what it is. I guess that's my... Is, I guess that's is there the thing. any I don't initiative know that I in uh, Gothprom? Uh, no. Actually, Gothprom doesn't have combat. Come to think of it, <laughs> but you what have about goths all those in spikes? it. Well, the goths watch the fighting happen and then make pithy comments. 
Oh wait, no, this no. Sorry, I'm thinking of a different goth game. I'm thinking Molgoths versus Visigoths. Sorry. Oh yeah, that's a different game. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I was like, I, I was making. No, I'm talking old... about Goth Prom, written by yeah. uh, some guy. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder who that was. I don't remember the author. Some who guy. Was that author uh, again? I think I think a Ouija board <laughs> wrote that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are pushing over an hour and a half here. I know yeah. that's short for you, Bobby, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. We've got a got a lot of material for uh, be- uh, Brent to uh, edit. So yeah. Well, this, so this, let's this, go ahead and round it out here. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts? I want to reiterate that I had a lot of fun, and maybe in the end, that's all that really matters. Because I did have yeah. a blast playing, Agreed. and that was kind of the mm-hmm. that was kind of the goal. Yeah, that was that was the point. So, um, goal achieved. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed, even though there were some things that frustrated me. But I did, for the most mm-hmm. part, enjoy the the game. It was, right. it was good. Um, I enjoyed the game. Um, went in there with a particular mindset, which you have to do with uh, particular games like this, but it was fun. I, I too, enjoyed myself, but, you know, I always enjoy playing games. Uh, it's always like when I have to run them is when I usually realize, oh, this game is so hard to run. <laughs> Really uh, makes you appreciate the people that run for a living. Yeah, I know. I can only run one game at a time. I wish I could run more, but it's like every time I do as add like two running two games, I get burned out like in twice the time it would normally take. You mean half the time, <laughs> or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. We know what he meant. We know what he meant. It, it's yeah, exponential. Like every not. game. It's an exponential <laughs> curve is what the problem is it, with running games and getting burnt out on them is for me. So. All right. Uh, so, well, uh, Robert, anything you want to shout out here before we go? Oh, shoot. If I'm allowed to, um, then yeah. I'll say uh, play my slice of life game Tiny Taverns. It's a role-playing game where you all invent a tavern together and run it and have a zany mm-hmm. slice-of-life adventures. Uh, read my L5R novella Death Seeker, which is available in The Great Clans of Rokugan, uh, Volume mm-hmm. 2. And uh, follow me on Twitter, assuming that's still a thing by the time you hear this. Uh, you can find me. <laughs> you can find me. Twitter hopefully. is the worst. Is it a mm, go ahead? Dumpster fire is in more fire. Oh my god, yes. it's so true. I I miss old Twitter, but we live in new Twitter now. Uh, and if you uh, want to follow me on new Twitter, you can follow me at Oh No Spooky. I'm also on Hive, but I probably not for long. 
at Oh No Spooky. Yeah. Um, and uh, keep an eye out because I'm working on another uh, role-playing game that is a supernatural mystery game, which hopefully some stuff about that will be coming out uh, in the next year. And I'll make an announcement cool. hopefully about a Patreon. So if you uh, enjoy my work, keep an eye out for that so that you can follow mm-hmm. me and keep an eye on what I'm doing. Yeah. And then you're on another podcast too, aren't you? Uh, indeed. Uh, the Last Province podcast is uh, your stronghold province for L5R lore, RPG stuff, and and, and story shenanigans. And uh, that's run by myself and my co-hosts, Dan and George. You can check us out at thelastprovince.com. Uh, there might be another episode coming out soon where we talk about the dragon, and I might there might be an episode coming out soon where I read my Halloween story for this year. So keep an Ooh. eye out for that. I'll look forward to that. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and plug Shay here really quick, and also say like we also asked Shay uh, on our message, our organization message, what what uh, his final thoughts were, and it was just that it was very. Ha- I was very happy with how the utility ritualist played and the mini game of favor was a ton of fun. My takeaway as a player is the game is gave a lot of room for character expression more so than one gets in a standard D and D five E game. Also check out the Jade throne. And I don't remember what the other podcast he's on is called. Cause I, I don't listen to it. It's a, is it a flesh and blood podcast? I don't remember. I thought it was Ashen. I don't know. I don't, I don't li- remember. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Shay. I apologize. <laughs> he is uh, screaming at his problem. audio device yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So he will be when he hears this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Uh, Buell, do you have any shout outs you want to do today? Not really. There we go. They're they're for the bingo card. (laughs) What about you, Chris? Any final thoughts? Any shout outs? You know, I had a lot of fun playing with you guys. Uh, I think a lot of the success or failure of a role playing game is on the interaction between the game master and the players. Mm -hmm. And you guys were a lot of fun. You rolled with the punches. And, you know, I think it was a successful story in the end, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully they sat through this extra long episode of ours uh, <laughs> and got to hear. Uh, I would love to hear what the, what the listeners thought of it, and they can uh, go onto our Discord and let us know there or Facebook or Twitter, if Twitter's still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. See y'all later. Bye. Walk with the fortunes. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Jade's